0: So this morning we're going to continue this, this series we're doing called Marked. I'm laughing because I just heard another pastor who was at a conference. I wasn't, it wasn't the conference I went to. It was a different conference. I was listening to the podcast, and he was speaking to a bunch of pastors, and he was talking about Mark. And, and this is actually when we were in the plane this week, and I was listening to the podcast, and he said, I love the gospel of Mark. I've learned a lot about it. I've spent the last, and I think he said something like 50, 52 months preaching it at our church 52 months, they have been like, or something like that, 26 months, that's a big difference, but, you know, <laughs> several, like two and a half years he'd been in the series, and I was like, gosh, like, we haven't been there that long, and we probably won't be, but, I, it, you know, it's, it's been a good journey, and I was kind of also humbled that, man, there's so much more that could be explored. I hope you're doing that. I love what Mike shared this morning, that you, we are in God's Word, His very voice to His people, you know, and, and we believe that with great conviction, not just, as a point of like agreement mentally but as a practical matter in our lives that the word of god is to be consumed right to be eaten to be treasured uh, tasted known and it's not a book like in the traditional sense of a book it's the very word of god to his people and so we can continue that this morning but there's so much so much more to learn and grow together I want to pray right away, and then we're going to do a little bit of follow-up from last week and moving forward, and, and also talking about uh, some other things as well. So pray with me if you would. Father God, we've come here today to your house to sing praises of who you are, the great God of all creation, the universe, the mighty one, the holy one, the, the creator, Yahweh, beyond measure, beyond our understanding, beyond ability to be known where you not to reveal yourself to us. And so today, Father, we come into your house to worship you in your glory and your magnitude. And and we ask, Father, that you would indeed condescend, that you would come to us, that you would reveal yourself to us, and not for our our begging, but for our need of you. Um, Because without you, we have no hope, and we have no direction or purpose or point. And so we look to you, Father, to, to instruct us. And we ask that you do that in our innermost being, that we would really be changed from the inside out that we would be transformed because we've come to know you. That our lives would be fuller because of you. And Father, as we've come today, we pray that we could, you know, bring those things in here that we, we drag in from the world, our, our hearts, burdens, our concerns, the things that are going awesome, the things that are going terrible, and we could just drop them like bags at our feet for a minute and say, you know, Jesus, we want to hear what, what what you say about all this junk we brought in here. We know it. We, we live it all the time. but. Would you instruct us in what it means and and how we're to go forward? And uh, may we um, return everything to you, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, just, just in praise. We magnify who you are for this gift of life that you've given us. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be with us and intermingled in this place that we would rightly see, hear, and understand, know, believe, and live your word. That it would actually make a difference in our lives. Father, we owe everything to you. So whatever you choose to do, we worship you because you're worthy. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, I, uh, last few weeks, I started asking you all to do something. I'm going to say it before the sermon this week. Maybe you can be thinking about it. But I've been asking that maybe if you have had a question or a thought that came up while I was speaking, that maybe you would write down a, a question. And I didn't really know why. I just wanted, wanted, wanted a little interaction on what was going on. I had a little bit of an ulterior motive. Family groups right now are kind of on a hiatus at Family Bible Church. Some people have asked about that. But they're hopefully going to be coming back online very quickly here in the next, you know, few weeks. And part of what has happened is we, I would love to provide material on our website for kind of like family group material, And I would love to maybe have some input in that. So if you have questions or thoughts, you're just like, what about this? I mean, it's a chance for us to go deeper in God's Word together in family groups. It's not about having the right answer. It's about having the right attitude, right? That we're going to go figure out what God's Word actually says and then live it out together in community. And so I ask you for the last few weeks, these, by the way, are engagement sheets. And on the back side, there's a space here if you're a first or second timer with us. Sorry. By the way, I'm sick. If you haven't noticed, I got sick this week on my way to Florida. Oh, my goodness. And, and so fill that out. And on the back side, there's a space for some uh, next step items for you. But also down here is a space for prayer concerns. And that's where if you have a question or a thought or, you know, an insight, uh, write that down. And I would love to uh, have that information and, and, you know, see what God might, might do with that. Uh, the other thing I've been asking you to do for the last few weeks, because this is primarily a prayer concern card, right? That if there's people in your lives that you would love to to come to know the Lord, like if there's people in your lives that you've been just praying a coworker or a parent or a child, and you've just been praying, and your heart's burdened for them, and you want someone to join you in prayer. Our prayer team would lift that prayer with you, and we'll pray that God would intervene. We won't know when or how or you know in what manner He'll do that, but we would love to be praying for those people. And maybe someone that needs to be in church that would just be blessed to be here, and you could write their name down as well. So those kind of things, if you want to write that down in that card, that would be fantastic. But I say I'll to say this, that we're going to do a little bit of, a little bit of review because um, someone wrote a question last week, and I, I wanted to read it. This wasn't my intent in doing this, by the way, but I thought it was interesting. It says, the history and context of the text we talked about last week is crucial, the, the prophecy from Isaiah. Remember that? And it said, is there application today? Uh, the prophecy from Isaiah pointed to the beginning of humanism. That's the ability for people to do things in the flesh, you'll remember. And how is this be pervading society and maybe even pervading the church and by the way, if you want to know where this is at we 're going to be in Matthew seven, or mark seven again this week, and so if you want to turn to Mark seven, you can see this text. this going be mark seven six we 're going to work a little later in that text today I think it's uh, if you turn there yeah it 's mark seven twenty four but in mark seven chapter seven verse six, it says this Jesus is speaking. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, and here's the prophecy, these people will honor me with their lips, remember that, and but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain because their teachings are merely rules taught by men. And then in verse 8, which is really powerful, you, to those he's talking to, have let go of the commands of God and instead chosen to follow the commands of men, right? Now the person asking the question says that's defined as humanism. As much as you can do in the flesh is was what they've come to try to do. And Jesus was indicting them. And I'm not going to try to answer all the question, but I do think that there's two things that we can say distinctly since Jesus used that text here in Mark. And the first is this, that when Isaiah was prophesying, part of what he was prophesying about was the Israelite people, specifically the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. That's the two people that Jesus was addressing here. And I want you to see, and it's so beautiful because the text is so obvious, but I want you to see that Jesus says these words, Isaiah, that's the prophet, was right about you, pretenders. Remember I said that, religious pretenders. He was right about you. And in some way, as mag- as magnificent as the prophecies of Isaiah are, and the prophets of the Bible, and we think about prophecy being like in time stuff, or you know, but there was a time gap between Isaiah and this moment with Jesus, and they could have never imagined that Isaiah was speaking about them, that they were the ones that would have gone fallen from God to the point that they would honor him with their lips, but not in side that they would miss the point that they would substitute um, false religion for true faith and it's the easy thing to do and then the second thing is and we talked about this but I do want to touch it again is well then that was applicable to them now then but what about now is, is it applicable in the church now and, and of course it is we have a tendency to deny the true engagement with God in studying the word and in praying right and and, and, and then we saying that song i need you jesus and being needy for him and being desperate for him and instead we, we and being in that vulnerable broken position of, of of a child we would rather be in the position of an authority we'd rather be in a position that has it all together and has the answers. And so therefore, we're more comfortable walking around in pretending religion than true faith. Because you see, true faith is always about needing someone else, meaning God in our lives. That's true faith. And so we have that um, tendency. One other application, and I think I said this, but we have a tendency, and this is a, a real detriment to the church, to judge one another based on external factors, right? So we look at someone and we go, well, you can't possibly be a true Christian because of X, Y, or Z, something we see on the outside, but we don't know the condition of someone's heart. And even more tragic, by the way, than that is if we look at one another and say, well, you're obviously a Christian because you're here every Sunday and you do this box and you check that thing and this thing, and so obviously, and then you're not. That's the more tragic of those two. Right? That we would presume one another to be believers and then only find out when we meet God that we were not believers at all. That ought to give us pause. That ought to, that that should have shook up the religious leaders when Jesus said to them, Isaiah was right when he talked about you. Pretenders who prefer that to a true faith. And and I say that and that was a great connection, of course, because it was what we just talked about last week with today's text because we're going to continue in this journey with Jesus in Mark where he encounters real people who have real needs and, and are not, today's going to be almost antithetical to what um, the Pharisees and the teacher of the law were upset with the disciples about. I want to say one other thing, by the way, and I didn't say this last week. What they were fundamentally offended with, the, the Pharisees and the teacher of the law, was the freedom with which the disciples walked. Like, don't miss that. They were offended by how they walked around. You know, it says they were taking grain with with their hands. But the text actually says they were offended with the way they walked around. It was their very freedom, their very comfort, their very presence with Jesus that made the, the religious pretenders uncomfortable. You can't be you and be comfortable with God. Does that make sense? We worked really hard to to pretend to be okay with God, and you're not pretending at all. And that's a great lead-in, of course. And I I knew that last week when I preached that, that these texts, they're all connected, right? I mean, the whole Bible, but this story is a narrative flow. And I just had to pick a spot to stop last week. So keep that in mind that this week is going to be a continuation of that thought. We're going to take a journey, a powerful journey through the text, now, starting in verse 24, okay? So, so we've just come off. Jesus said, it's not the things on the outside that make a man unclean. It's not the things that a man or woman puts in their mouth that makes him unclean. It's the things that come from the inside. And he lists all the evil brokenness of the world, not all, but a bunch of categories, and says that comes from inside of us. We need to be changed on the inside, right? And, and on the heels of that, this is what the word says. Jesus left that place. And went to the vicinity of Tyre, and it's actually Tyre and Sidon, right? So there's two names dropped there. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know that he was there, yet he could not keep his presence a secret. So the first thing I want you to notice in the text is there's a location change today, right? He was before in Galilee, in in, um, Israel, and now he had left rose up, the text says, departed from that place and went to another place. And this place is called Tyre and Sidon. I want to take one moment just to talk about the um, these locations. I always get fascinated with names in the Bible. You know, Dale is always a great model of that. He says, you know, everything there matters, right? Names matter. Um, numbers matter. And and here we have these two names. Um, Tyre means a rock, but it's actually the capital of um, Phoenicia, right? Which is a northern bordering country to Israel. So it's another uh, people group, and he's crossed over and to this capital region. But by the way, it does say region, you know, because then there's this thing about um, Sidon, and Sidon is actually uh, a, a fishing uh, port, for Phoenicia as well okay and so you have this Jesus has now got a rose from Galilee and left after this encounter with the religious folks right He has crossed the border and he's gone into the the neighboring country and he's between the in the area of the capital and the fishing village by the way the word the Sidon literally means to catch fish I, I, I couldn't help but read catching fish and thought oh yeah Jesus is teaching them to what be fishers of men remember that follow me and I'll make you fishers of men and he is now casting that into another country to catch fish interesting right and so um, a couple of things I want to talk about because it, it, it's it's relevant the more you dig the more there is the area of Tyre and Sidon that, that he's in is known as Palestine which we should probably be familiar with the language of Palestine even today right it's in the news almost every day um, the Palestinian um, area and it's the, um, uh, the, uh, the foreign and the, the, the neighbor up to the north. I already said that, but just to reiterate, okay. So, Palestinian territory around Israel, and he has entered into it, okay. Now, check it out. So, we already read this, and I love this, um, but it says that Jesus went into the oidos, the house he, he kind of went away, he snuck into a house, and he did not want to be found out, which is a weird thing, isn't that, isn't that what it says? Did you see it? Um, and he did not want anyone to know it. He didn't want people to know he was in the house, or people to know he had come into the country. Like, you have to believe that that's true, that the Bible says that Jesus didn't want to be discovered, but, and that, I want to say that because you would think Jesus would get what he wants, wouldn't you? Like, you would think if there's anyone in all creation, all history, that's going to get what they want, it's going to be Jesus. He's going to get what he wants, right? Like, if Jesus wants a break today, he should get a break today, should he not? I mean, he's Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate. And it says, he did not want anyone to know he entered the house nor the country. And um, yet, and this will blow your mind maybe, it blew mine, he could not keep his presence secret, what? I thought that, what? And I looked it up. He did not have the power to keep his presence hidden. That's what the text says. Dunamah, he did not have the ability to keep his presence hidden, which on one hand is, is, is spectacular because Jesus is of such a quality. You know, you think about a city on a hill, right? You don't put a lamp under a basket, right? He's the son of God walking around in car- on, the, on the earth. He is not going to be hidden. He's going to be known. But even against his own desires, he's going to be known. Isn't that striking? I thought that was just a little nugget. I thought, wow. Like, could you know, Jesus wants to turn it off for a minute and can't. And we're going to see a theme like that today in the text. Can't turn it off. Can't. Don't have the ability to stop shining, stop being known. I, I love, I love that. All right, check it out. So you got this location change, verse twenty-five. We're joining with Jesus. In fact, as soon as this is verse twenty-five. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. And I'm like, she who? Do you see? Now, if I ever encounter an unknown pronoun in a text, I go back and try and find out who I missed, you know, if you ever read something. And I went back and I was looking, and I'm like, there, there's no definition of who this woman is. It, it's, it's linked to the idea that he could not be kept secret, that he is known, even in spite of the fact that he don't want to be known there. And as soon as she, and all we know about she, we know of a couple of facts about this person. She's a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit. So that's, that's who she is. It's just a weird way to introduce her, honestly, in the text. As soon as she heard, who? This lady that you're going to hear about in a minute. As soon as she heard that Jesus was um, in the area. As soon as she heard about Jesus. Remember this? He's not in his home country, right? As soon as she hears... About this Jesus being in her area. She comes and she falls at his feet. Her daughter had an impure, that is, unclean spirit, pneuma. Her daughter was afflicted. Her daughter was unwell. And we can unpack that a little bit. But, you know, this idea of unclean spirits is, you know, something isn't right. Something isn't right. You know, Mike kind of alluded to that earlier that that everyone knows someone in their life that's hurting. Everyone knows someone that's like troubled. And many of us are troubled, right? It's just not right. And and there's this sense that this woman, as soon as she hears about Jesus, she comes and she falls at his feet because she knows that he is going to somehow help her with the not rightness of her daughter. Something isn't right. It's going to be more defined than that in a moment. But that's where we start. She falls at his feet feet. All right. Yeah. Verse 25. And that's it. 26. Some more. The woman was a Greek. Check this out. Born in Syrian Phoenicia. Okay. So she lives there. Um, and she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. So now we have a couple more pieces of information. Um, the first is that she's from uh, Syrian Phoenicia, which is, um, the root is the same. as Syria. Right, so she's from this region that's troubled, and she, um, her daughter, oh yeah, and and she begs Jesus, and she asks him to drive the demon, to cast the demon out of her daughter. Um, This idea, now, so you have a couple of layers happening here. She has an unclean spirit, right? Um, A not uh, therapeutic spirit, a not healthy, not whole spirit, her daughter does, but this woman, who's from Syria, has diagnosed that it. it's a demon. And that could be something that Jesus would know as, you know, something in, um, in truth. Or it could be a, uh, attributing something of a, of a false god. You know, that there's some demon that needs to be thrown out. And, and I just think this is remarkable because, and it says that she begged here, but she, she asked him. Jesus w- Will you throw that demon out of my daughter? Crazy. A couple of things I think that's crazy. Well, first of all, one thing is the woman comes and just falls at his feet. So that's first, right? She's down on her face by Jesus, desperate for him to help. But then she begins to tell, to diagnose what's going on. And to tell Jesus how to fix the problem, do <laughs> you, you, you see that? Like she's like, and would you just um, go ahead and throw that demon out of my daughter? Ekbalo, I love. I don't know why I love that word, but to just to cast it out, to get the demon out of my daughter. Jesus, will you just do that right now? And it says here that she asked, but there's a little bit more of a rich history for this woman in the Gospel of Matthew, because we, and we're not going to turn there, but in the Gospel of Matthew, what you have is this woman is nagging the disciples in Jesus. She's nagging them to the point she's just pestering them. Would you please, would you please, would you please? And she keeps bugging him to the point that the disciples following Jesus say, Rabbi, will you send her away? She's driving us crazy. This foreigner is driving us nuts. Will you send her away? So it's kind of funny to hear in Mark, the, the NIV translates as beg, but it's really to ask. It's a respectful asking. She asks as one who believes he can do it. But in the other gospel, it's, it's recorded in this pestilent, like annoying, drippy faucet. I will not stop. I need you, kind of way. So she begged Jesus to cast out the demon. Will you throw this demon out of my daughter? So far, so good, by the way, in the text. Um, Because we're about to turn a corner on something I think is super weird. But so far, so good. Because we've seen this before, you know Some dude comes and falls flat on his face And Jesus says, will you? Jesus says, yeah, I will And the dude's healed it Does all this, people are being healed and fed You know, they're multiplying food and all that stuff All this stuff has been become normative in Jesus' life and, and, and in this moment, she comes and she says, you know I have this problem Will you do it for me? But Jesus' response here is, is stunning She begs Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter Here's Jesus' reply. Verse 27, First, let the children be satisfied, because it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What? I mean, did you hear the way he answered the question? Jesus, m- my daughter has an unclean spirit, which is in fact true, right? Right? Um, impure spirit, and and I think she's a demon. I'm on my face, and I'm pestering you. And Jesus says, first let the children fill their bellies, because it is not good to throw bread right to the little dogs. We've talked so much about. The miracles of Jesus and the multiplying of food and the healing and the ministry of forgiving of sins, you know, the power that Jesus has demonstrated as he walks around. And here, whenever this lady comes and wants to be part of that, she says, Would you please do this? He says, No, let the kids be satisfied first. I'm not going to feed dogs. I cannot read this text. Without realizing that Jesus called her daughter a little dog. What? I mean, I looked at it sideways. I at, you know, that's pretty clear. Who are the children? The people of God, right? Wait, wait. Let's, let's connect it back to last week a little bit. Last week, we had the high holy false pretenders. And then we had the people of Israel who were coming out and just being healed and encouraged in droves, just chasing Jesus around, and they're being full. Remember? Feeding all those people with the bread and the fish. Full. Everyone was what? Satisfied. Everyone was satisfied, except the religious leaders aren't satisfied, right? Because they won't eat it. And then here in this moment, you know, She's just like, "Give me this we over here." And he says, "No, it's not right to give it to the little dogs." Um, I, I thought th- that's just stunning. Wow! That's what I wrote in my notes when I read it. Wow. Dogs! Wow! And it's easy to explain this away kind of theologically and say, well, wait, wait, wait. It's because Jesus' first priority was to Israel, you know. It's kind of like we see with the disciples as well. The apostles, say, well, we're first called to go to Israel and then to the, you know. And so there's this kind of pecking order. And you can kind of explain it away. But boy, it just seems harsh. It just seems a, a despised uh, a thing. Now, now get this. The, uh, the, the term little dogs um, was a known problem in Phoenicia in particular okay so what was really really frowned upon this is you know my understanding really really frowned upon in Phoenicia was to have a dog that just was unkept so you could have dogs you could have dogs that were well fed and groomed and cared for and you had them on your leash and you walked right and you did everything a good owner would do that was respected but to just have a dog like wandering around. And, and that's what the implication is here. What, um, I love that I found this little phrase called mooch pooches. A mooch pooch. And a mooch pooch is just a little dog that just follows you around. and just like, please come on, give me something. His ribs are showing, you know. We've been on some foreign missionaries where, missions where we've seen dogs that look like they can't even be alive. How are you alive? And the dog is like, just waiting for something, you know. And, and that's the... Term that Jesus uses for this little girl, a mooch pooch, it would have been a definitely a derogatory term. Not, not only derogatory, like in our modern context, but in their context, it had been offensive, like a begging dog, an uncared for dog, a, a dog without a master, a dog that's not well fed and cared for. I'm not, I'm not going to give the children's bread to this mangy mutt. Wow, and I was just. Stunned. What she's asking for is a demon to be cast from her daughter. And Jesus equates it to tossing showbread in front of a dog. Ha. Huh. But wait. See. And I can't even explain. And you, you all can come back around on that. You can look at that. And you can come up and tell me later. Well, this is, you know, there's some great mind that's figured this out. But, but the next thing that, that blew me away and should blow us all away is the immediacy of her reply in 28. Yes, Lord. It's not good for the bread of the children to be thrown to the dogs before they are satisfied. And she says, yes. like She agrees. You're, you're right. But even the dogs under the table eat the crumbs from the children. Right? So I read that, and I went like, wow, wow, right? You know, like, Jesus, like, wow, that's his response. And then I look at this woman, and her response to Jesus, remember, she's at his feet, she's been begging him, and she, without hesitation, has his attention, and she says, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, master, ruler, you're correct. But even little dogs under the table eat the scraps that the children drop. That sentence. Is the, like, point of that uh, set, that an encounter. And I was, I wanted to just talk about it for a minute. Um, I don't know if you've all been in my house or not before, but I have this little, little y- yappy dog. He's not really yappy, but, you know, RJ, he's yappy when you all come over usually. But um, this little bitty five-pound dog, if you've not been over. I almost bought him today, but it would have been a circus up here if I'd have had my, you know. But this is our little, our little um, you know, uh, treat thing, so whenever RJ goes out and comes into the house, and if he goes to the bathroom outside, which doesn't always happen, let's be honest, uh, he gets a treat for doing that, for for showing some discipline, you know, um, some respect in our house, and what's been funny is, he's so little that we can't feed him a full bone, um, because he would be full for like a whole day from it. So we break them into thirds. But what I have really noticed is that when I walk in the house after walking him, I go over and I get one of these things out and I just go like this. I don't even look at him. I just drop it like that. And then I just let it lay there. And then, of course, he's like on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like he's on it he's like watch ready for it it hits the ground and he eats it you know and he carries it around for and he comes back in and then he'll like look around you ever seen a dog like look around for a little morsel they missed on the, they got you ever seen those dogs they got like sloppy noses and they're like making the floor wet where's that you know what I mean where wh- what did I miss where's that what did I miss you know you've seen the dogs do that stuff right you're cooking in the kitchen, you're, like, you're slinging food everywhere you got food, you're opening a package and dog's like, oh my gosh, something's going to happen, you know. This is going to be the best day of my life. And you're up there like going, and you drop something, you're like, oh, I don't want to pick it up. And you're like, come here. They come here like, oh, look at this treasure, right? On one hand, when you're up here and you look, you're like, I oh, look how happy he is. But you wouldn't bend over and pick it up. And you surely... You surely wouldn't get on your hands and knees and lick it off the floor, right? Because that's not how we do things. We're adults. We're respectable. Don't eat that. Here's the crazy thing. Jesus says, it's not right to throw good food on the floor. And she says, oh, but if you drop it, we want it. She, she has no illusions that she deserves anything from Jesus. She has no illusions that she should be included. She has hope, but no, no demands. It's certainly none of these like traps that, that, the, that the religious leaders have been bringing to Jesus. She says, oh, you're right, Lord, but those morsels are precious to us. As a matter of fact, when she says here that the dogs under the table eat those, the the word means to devour, uh, to consume, like to just you know, woof, right? <clears throat> because they're so desperate to be included. See, it's not even like she's like, I want to see at the table. I, I, I just, you know, it's not that entitlement thing. Like she's just like, I'll, I'll just take it right here. Just, just drop something for me. We'll be all over it. See, now I'm I'm wow wow right. I'm like wow wow, right. But I'm not the one. Because if you read in 29, look at what Jesus says. Because of this, because of the way you responded, you can go. Interesting, by the way. Um, that's all the disciples wanted was, would you send her away? <laughs> Jesus said, because of this, go. Whew. The demon has left. Not the demon will leave. Not, not go and do some more stuff. Because of that attitude. Because of that right understanding, go. The demon is gone. That's powerful. Verse thirty, in case we need to know for a fact, says she went home and found her child lying on the bed. The demon gone. So great, great story. We're gonna journey a little more through the text, but we'll stop just a minute and talk about what was this matter. She's a Greek. Means she's not a Hebrew, <laughs> right? Uh, she's a Gentile. All of us are Gentiles. Dogs under the table, of a master, hungry, and and she she has no problem with that. This week I I was um I mentioned I was I was in Florida and. I won't, I won't say who, but so, someone, I was in the hot tub. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling a story. I, I, I was sick as a dog, if that helps at so all. I was in Florida sick, but I was in a hot tub, and someone tells my mom that she looks like a, a, a famous uh, evangelist. I think the girl was kind of saying, are you the famous evangelist? I think you are. It was, and uh, that was funny enough, and mom's like, no. And um, then, but then I, we went to bed and, and, and then in the middle of the night, the same evangelist comes on TV and starts to talk. And, and uh, I'm like, I'm like woke from asleep to hear this. And I kid you not, um, she's uh, she saying um, uh, Jesus would never clothe his children in an irrespectable in way. <laughs> You know, so it, it, there's nothing that's good enough for the children of God. There's, there's no, nothing too great for the children of God. Y- you know who you are, right? You're God's children. The, everything belongs to you. Like, and I'm not picking on it. I'm just saying that's what I heard. And, and then I, I go from that to reading this text, and Jesus is like, you know, you're like dogs. You're like dogs. But he doesn't say that like in an unloving way. It's just like a right understanding of our relationship. And I think, church, we can get that so wrong. We can think, well, we, you know what? Uh, I've been praying to Jesus, and he hasn't done it yet. And, and we begin to judge him for the way he functions in our life, right? Listen, we're like dogs under the table, right? We need him. We need, and that, that's the posture that, not the fake that posture, that's the posture he desires in our lives. You know, demanding things of God. You know, expecting that he would deal with us as peers and equals. Well, I'm going to ask you a question then. No, What? What? Jesus didn't answer my prayer. Or, oh, wait a minute. I've been praying, and the thing I didn't want to happen has happened. He didn't answer me. Instead of he answered in a way I didn't want. Remember, Jesus didn't want to be known, and yet was. There's this right understanding of our proximity and relationship, but it depends on God that we should always, always be aware of. And I'm not saying we should like rub our noses in the dirt and act like we're less than we are, but let's don't act like we're more. Let's don't demand things of the God who saves us. He's saving us. We ought to trust Him in that. See, really, what I think it is is the question of pride. A question of pride, isn't it? How will I let God treat me? Isn't that kind of what the Pharisees are saying? And I, I got my own system here. I'm not going to let you dismantle that. You, you know what, what I say? He can treat me however he wants. He's God. I belong to him. He's my only Oh, Question of pride. We're all caught up in that. All these are morsels from the Lord. These little gifts he gives to his children. And it's so good. Oh, and I want to say, we don't deserve it. I, maybe you think you deserve it. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it when he comes to me in a broken and hurting time. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. when he gives me the strength to face another day. I don't deserve it, right? I don't deserve when I succeed. I don't deserve when I fail. I don't deserve his presence and his passion. I don't deserve him dying on a cross that I might be free. I want to go quickly now through this next bit of text because it's related. Just then... Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon. He went through Sidon. Here we go again. Down to the Sea of Galilee into the regions of the Decapolis, right? Remember the Decapolis is the ten cities. You ought to remember maybe the ten cities is where the guy who was the crazy person out in the the graves area ran to tell them about Jesus, the Decapolis. So it says he went on to the Decapolis and there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And... They begged him. Look at the similarity to what we just heard in the woman. There's going to be a lot of, like, re, re, repetition. They begged him to place a hand on the man. So here, they, who are they? They're the people who brought a friend who is deaf and can't speak. They brought him to Jesus, and they begged Jesus. They asked. Same, same model here. Now, look at the, the response here. 33, Jesus took the man aside, away from the crowds, Jesus stuck his fingers into the man's ears. Then Jesus spit and he touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh he said ephaphatha, which means be opened. And at this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak plainly. Similar experience, similar encounter, totally different engagement, totally different, you know, result in a way. But I want you to see what I thought how, what in the world is like eating the food off the floor. He took the man aside, first of all, so it's not like, it wasn't like up in front of everybody to show off what he's doing. It wasn't the point. But he immediately puts his fingers in the guy's ears, right? He puts his fingers in there, and I want you to just see the progression. It happens so fast. I mean, it's just like one thing after the other. I I can't imagine that Mark and the disciples are going, what is, or the disciples are going, what is he doing? Like, how, you know, what kind of methodology is this? And then he spit. Um, by the way, a new Greek word for you today, spit is p'tou. P T U A O. ptua. Like, that's what it is. I don't know where he spit, by the way. Did he spit in the guy's face? Did he spit on the ground? Did he spit on his hand? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. And then it says that he grabbed the guy's tongue, got a hold of it, right? I think the spit's involved now. I think he probably spit on something and touched the guy. He put his fingers in his ear, he spit, and he touched the guy's tongue. He's doing all this stuff, and you got to be thinking, if you're this guy, like, what are you doing? Like, maybe it's just me, guys. That's disgusting. You just had those fingers in my ears. I don't put my own fingers in my ears and my mouth. I don't do that. He spits. And then, he, and then he looks up, and I love this, and with a deep sigh, a deep sigh, it's like this idea of a, a, a child of birth, like a lamaz, You know, like, right? It's like this, like, it's, it literally means, like, to squeeze something out, to make something happen. This is like Jesus is manifesting some, some experience in this guy's life, and he heals him. And he says, and look at what it says, if which is hard to say if you say it fast, which is a foreign language. Is it the guy's language? Why? Why that word? Why that moment? The guy's deaf. He can't speak. Who's he saying it for? Is Aramaic? Chal- Chaldean? I don't even know the etymology of what, what is it. But he speaks in, the local, in some local dialogue, dialect, which means, and even, by the way, even to the readers, they go, well, what does that mean? And so he gives you the definition of what it means. It means be open. It's a command. Open up. And at this, the man's ears are immediately open. And I love this. His, his tongue was unchained. It had been restricted. It was released. The bands, it says, of his tongue were released in the moment. And he began to speak uh, orthos plainly or straightly. Orthodontics, right? Like straight. He began to speak straight for the first time. And I went, this is where we're going to end. Jesus commanded that people who saw that, don't tell anyone, <laughs> right? So here's Jesus, don't say nothing about this. But the more he told them, the more they kept talking about it. They couldn't stop talking about what Jesus did. Did you see? Put his fingers in, touched the guy's tongue, that big breath thing, and then the guy can talk now, and he can hear. You, can you believe it? They're in Decapolis where the other guy, remember the other guy? You know, he's like, he's like, can I go with you? No, you can't go with me. And the guy went all throughout the, the Decapolis just telling everybody what Jesus did for him. And in 10 cities, he's like, there's this guy, Jesus, you can't believe it. And now Jesus is back up in the region. People were overwhelmed with amazement. They were stunned and beside themselves with what Jesus could do. And they said this, he had done, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak he, he even opens ears and loosens tongues for what praise and for proclamation and for good news you can't believe this guy jesus i met and i don't even know what to think about the fact that he says don't go tell anybody about it and they can't stop telling people about it like i think that's awesome actually just keep it, could you just keep it to yourself can you keep your faith to yourself? I can't. I can't keep it to myself. We have um, these stories that are the opposite of false pretending religion. They're like real people, real desperate, really touched, and then really telling people about what Jesus really did. They just have to. They have to do all of that, right? They have to wait upon Jesus. They don't get to make the plan and implement the vision and see. They have to wait. And then when the moment comes, they get to go tell the story. Oh, you can't believe what Jesus just did. And the people who witness it go, wow, I've been watching that for a while. You can't believe what Jesus just did. And this is how our lives should be lived. Listen, in this rhythm of waiting upon Jesus and believing in Jesus and then celebrating Jesus and acknowledging Him and, and, and proclaiming Him and then waiting upon Jesus it again. I, I don't know if you've talked people have been a Christian a while, if you've been talking to people who've been believing in Jesus for a while, but it's not like they have this terrible life and they have this experience of Jesus and everything's perfect. It's like this journey of relationship, of, of dependence and need and conversation that manifests in salvation, that manifests in a true faith. Like That's the journey. And that's the journey the disciples are on as well. Seeing And realizing there's this normalization of experience with Jesus. I don't know if you've had that in your life. I don't don't know. And and honestly, and this is the scary, I I don't know in your life right now if there are things that you need Jesus desperately to do. Oh, I I don't know if there's things that you've asked Jesus desperately to do and he hasn't done the way you wanted. And and you might feel like, I'm going to starve to death under this table. But the good news that we have is that we have a God who has not let his children starve. It's good testimony about Jesus. I guess I just want to end with this. You know, what is something that only Jesus can do for you right now? And, And I want to say it like this, right? I know you immediately, I think of uh, what the need is, and then I think of the plan for Jesus. Jesus, here's our plan. I've been praying about it for a long time. This is what I think you should do. If you follow directions pretty closely, I think we'll be in good shape, right? That's how I go to Jesus with my plans. That's what I do, right? Um, But what about if we go to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I, I, this is what I want, but there's a deeper need, and and I I need to know what your plan is in this, because your plan's better than my plan. And usually, honestly, church, that's a deeper plan conversation see that that service stuff is about us controlling what's going on that deeper thing is going we're yours you're ours whatever you have is better the truth is that many of us are too proud to just take what Jesus gives us just I want to pray today just I don't know what God has stirred up in you just that we, we would be involved that relationship with him it would be enduring with him I, I, I don't want to think more highly of ourselves, no more blessed, but rightly about our position. We Listen, we don't deserve anything from Jesus. If, if you've been walking around life thinking you deserve, Jesus owes you some stuff, you are wrong, man. Jesus owe me nothing. He don't owe you nothing. He don't owe anybody anything. He does not. That's pride. But oh, when morsels fall from the table of God, how we feast. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we just thank you so much that dogs we are. You feed us from your table. And Father God, for the the times that we have demanded things of you, all the times that we have stood and judged you as if we have standing or ability or knowledge to do so, we repent. Father God, we know our tendency to walk in the ways of men and to fail, and so we cash that out today, Father, and we want to walk in your way. would you would you lead us in that way? Whatever needs to be done to do away with our unclean spirit, whatever journey needs to be taken, we would rightly Have our sin removed and be who you call us to be. I pray that you give us the courage to walk that path with you. Would you guide us away from that tendency to fix it ourselves? You are worthy of praise and honor because you're God. We love you so much. Today we recognize and celebrate what Jesus did on the cross that we could never do ourselves, and cannot be undone. That all of our sins are paid for, washed away, and that we're free in you, that we're free in you to walk around and be included. Father, we thank you so much for your sustenance because for all of our fear and lamenting and foreboding, we are still here. You are still ours, and we are still yours. And we just live in that. We love you so much, but we don't deserve you. We praise you, Father, because you're beautiful and worthy. May your people hear, believe, and respond to your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.